Amen. Over the last several weeks in 1 Samuel, we've been learning really a great deal about choices. That we make choices, and in turn, those choices that we make, in essence, make us. And sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes we make bad choices. Uh, sometimes we don't make those choices based on what God's will would be for us, but rather we base those choices on what look good, things that seem convenient, things that maybe we even want. And when we make decisions based on those criteria, inevitably, we have to pay the consequences. There are consequences when we, when we think and we make choices just on those things uh, alone. And last week, what we saw is what we need is we need to learn to trust the Lord more. We, we need to learn to trust that His plans for us and what He chooses for us is absolutely best. I think that's what we heard from Julie today, right? We've got plans. God's plans are greater than what our plans are, and we need to trust those. And so last week, we began to talk about a little bit about God's choices in order to build our faith to trust those choices for us more. And I think we are encouraged to learn about the hope of God's choice for us. And that is that no matter how bad of choices we've made, no matter how much of a mess we've made things. Anybody identify with that because of what we've chosen to do? That at the moment that you and I choose no longer to do things our way, but God's way, at that moment, there is the hope of a better future. Amen? And so we, we saw the hope of God's choice. We talked about the wisdom of God's choice. And that is that God not only knows what is best for us, he knows how to get there. He knows the best way to get us there. That he not only has... Uh, a great wants for us, but he also knows the best way for us, and we can trust whatever way that is. Well, this morning, with the little bit of time that we have, and it is a very little bit of time, uh, I am going to try to finish up this idea of God's choices by giving you a third element of God's choice. And, and, and what that is, is this, is it's the surprise of God's choice. It's the surprise of God's choice. I realize that many of you have not been with us in our study of 1 Samuel, so let me give you a little bit, very quick background to our story, and that is that God's people have rejected God of ruling over them, and they've chosen for themselves a king by the name of Saul. And it has not gone well for them because this king has become disqualified to lead God's people. He's becoming consistently, blatantly, and continually disobedient to the word of God. He won't do what it is that God has called him to do. So he's disqualified. And so things are beginning to fall apart, all based on the people's decision of what they thought looked good. And so now God graciously intervenes. He comes to rescue his people, and he chooses a king for them. And so we're at that stage right here in, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, and God's going to use a man by the name of Samuel who is going to actually anoint this new king. Now, he doesn't know exactly who this new king is going to be. He only knows what he's been told by God, and that is it's going to be one of the sons of a man by the name of Samuel. That's all he knows. He live in this small town of Bethlehem. So he goes to Bethlehem, and there's Jesse, and he brings all of his sons. There's seven of his sons all gathered together. And so now it's up to Samuel to determine which one of these sons 
is the one that God has chosen to be his king. And that's where we pick up there at verse 6. Verse 6 says, when they came, he looked on Eliab and he thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before me. So imagine uh, there's, there's, there's Jesse with his seven sons so proud, and, and they're all lined up in, in, in birth order. So Eliab, who's the oldest, he kind of passes before Samuel, and this guy is impressive looking, all right? Um, I mean, this guy is big. Think big biceps, all right? Think uh, captain of the wrestling team. Think, uh, you know, all-state quarterback, high school quarterback. I mean, this guy is everything you would expect and want in your coming king. And when Samuel sees him, he, just by looking at him, he's like, this has got to be the guy. This has got to be God's choice to lead God's people. And if it was up to Samuel, he certainly would have chosen him to be so. However, if you've been familiar with the story, you know that this sounds all too familiar because this is the same exact way, same mistake that, that God's people had made when they cho- chose their first king to rule over them. When you get back to 1 Samuel chapter 10, there, a group of people, uh, the people wanted a king, and the one that they chose, according to the desires of their hearts, was a guy that was taller than everybody else. In fact, the Bible said he was a whole head taller. He was better looking than everybody else. He was more popular than everyone else. And they were like this. He was everything everyone expected and wanted from a king, and they made him king. The problem was is it wasn't God's choice. This was a man that was opposite of what God truly wanted for his people, and begin, things begin to fall apart. But now we see that Samuel, after making that mistake, is about to make the same mistake over again if it hadn't been for the grace and the mercy of God intervening. Thank God when we're about to make a decision, it's the wrong decision, and God intervenes. Yes? All right? Sometimes we don't think it's a blessing, but it's a blessing. Yes? Nepal, all right, it's somehow God's using all of this with us, yes? And so what we find is we, we pick up here verse 7. He says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not, and here's the key verse to the section. He says, the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Okay, got it. Samuel's sitting back going, okay, I understand, wrong criteria, Eliab, awesome looking guy, looks the part, not your guy. All right, pass the next one through. So the next son passes by, his name is Abinadab, and, but God says he's not the one either. Then Shema goes by and he's not the one either. We finally get to verse 10, and all seven of his sons pass by, and God has rejected every single one of them from being king. And so Samuel's sitting there, and he goes, he puts, he kind of starts figuring this out, a little bit confused. Okay, God, I know one of his sons is the one that you've chosen, but you've rejected everyone here. He comes to the only possible conclusion, logical conclusion, and he turns to Jesse, and he says, are these all your sons? And Jesse says, no. He says, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. So whoever this eighth son is, we know that his name is David, right? Uh, he is so insignificant, even in the eyes of his own dad, that his dad, he doesn't even allow him to make the cut to possibly be the new king of Israel. Instead, he says, son, uh, we've got important things to do. Stay here and watch the sheep. And so his dad doesn't even view him as a potential. This is his father, right? When your dad's like, yeah, you've got no hope, you know things are bad, Yes. Because they're always like, you could be president, and everyone knows you cannot be president. Well, I take that back. Now we know anybody can be president. Yes, all right, take that back. 
Sorry, I, I, I didn't plan that. So and that's what I'll be in trouble for. But anyway, anybody can be president of the United States. And so um, where were we? Not enough time. Uh, see, that's why, no, that's why I need glasses, all right, is to, to stick with the script. And so what happens is the father is, is seeing that he, he doesn't even make this thing. He says, but we have one. But Samuel begins to listen to God. And he says, look, okay, the, the, the first one, he was big. We picked a big one that was bad. Uh, I wanted to pick a big one again. God put the kibosh on that whole thing. Now, small one. And, and the idea is when he says youngest, uh, the Hebrew word there means more than just uh, being the youngest of the brothers. It's also the smallest of the brothers. So he hears this word smaller and thinks, this might very well be the guy. And so he sends for him, he comes to him, and sure enough, it is. God says to Samuel in verse 12, he says, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and he anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and he went to Ramah. Now, what I want to let you know is everybody in this room is surprised. You got that, right? I mean, they're waiting to see who this king is going to be. And Samuel is surprised by God's choice. Uh, Jesse is surprised. The father's surprised. Uh, all seven brothers are surprised. And even the one that was chosen, text doesn't say, but I have to admit, uh, uh, think that he too was surprised that he was the one that was ultimately picked by God. This is one of those things that happen that when you disperse and everyone goes home in their cars or on their donkeys or whatever it was, that they whisper to each other, I didn't see that one coming, right? Nobody saw this coming. This is an ultimate surprise. Now, what do we do with this? So I, I got to couple minutes to kind of cram all this in. Here's the idea. What, what do we do with this? Well, let me tell you what the meaning of this is not. It is not that God hates tall people. Paul? All right, God doesn't hate you. All right, it doesn't hate tall. Matt, loves you. Okay, it doesn't hate. Let me tell you why that's important. A couple weeks ago, I preached on, uh, back in chapter 10, about all the people, we rejoice in big things. Yeah, we like big things. Grandparents love, hey, look how big my child is. Remember, not, hey, look how small my child is. I'm so proud. It's always how big they are, right? And I pointed out, just biblically, because this is what I do as a small person, uh, I pointed out that in the Old Testament, that every time the Bible really emphasizes the height and the, and, and the tall stature and the mighty stature of an individual, it's always the people that are against God. They're outside the covenant relationship with God, and they're always people that want to do harm to God's people. But here's what, and somebody came up to me afterwards, somebody of taller stature, and said, man, you left us hanging. What does this mean? Does God hate tall people? And I was like, oh, I probably should clear that up. So let me clear it up right now. God does not hate tall people, all right? Doesn't hate tall people. He just prefers short people, all right? That's, that's kind of the whole lesson. Let's pray. Amen. All the... All the Oompa Loompas are like amening right now. Amen. You know. So what is it that we're supposed to get from this? What is the scripture teaching us? I think just three just very quickly thing, quick things. Concerning God's surprise choice, I think we learned a little bit about God's method. About God's method. And how he chooses people for his team. In the scriptures, if you look back at verse 7, here's the key verse once again. For the Lord does not... not uh, does not the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks out the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. We begin to learn part of this truth when we're really young. Remember recess? Recess, you're out there, and all of a sudden somebody wants to play some football, and you don't have very much time. You're like, all right, we're going to be, I'm a, I'm a captain, I'm a captain, okay, great. And then you throw everybody up against the fence. Remember the fence? And you lean against the fence. 
kind of waiting, you know, who's going to call me, you know. And, and so what you do is, and if you're about to play football, you begin to make a choice. But what do you make a choice on? If you're going to play football, you look for the biggest, baddest dude you can find. Unless you're in sixth grade when all the girls were bigger than guys, you look for the biggest, baddest girl you can find, right, to be on your team. But, but either way, you end up choosing based solely on what? Appearance. On what it is that you see before you, right then. That's how you end up choosing. That's how you determine who you want to partner. What we see in the scriptures is this isn't how God chooses people for his team. When God is looking for people to partner with him, to fulfill his will and be a part of what it is that he's ultimately doing, he doesn't look at the outward appearance. He could care less what a person looks like. He could care less how big you are or, 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 or how, how, how tall you are in essence or, or how good looking you are or what you look like at all for that matter. He doesn't care about what kind of clothing you wear. All of that is completely irrelevant, irrelevant to, to, to God at all. It doesn't make, when, the way somebody looks doesn't persuade God more to be able to choose that person and doesn't dissuade him from choosing an individual. He just doesn't count it at all. Instead, the Bible teaches us here that instead of looking at the internals, he looks directly at the heart of man which means he goes to the very center. He bypasses all those external things and he goes into the deepest recesses of a man, a woman, and a child and he looks at who that person actually is when everything else is stripped away. And see, the problem with those externals oftentimes is it can cause us from a human perspective to either embellish what we see on the side, either embellish the value of the soul of that person or to, or, or to allow what we see on the outside to overshadow and even hide the true value of that individual. Do you understand what I'm saying? And we allow that oftentimes to be able to happen. And this is what would have happened in David's case and in Saul's case. They embellish this man. They think he must be amazing because of what they see on the outside. But God's saying, but in the heart, it's not there that's why everybody can overlook david and not even consider him but yet when god looks at the heart he goes this is it so what is god looking at the heart for he's looking for the content and he's looking for the intent of what's there in david's case he was a man after god's own heart what does that mean it means many things remember that's a series name of, of this whole thing uh, the point is and here it is is that he wants nothing more than the will of god to be done which means he is fully and completely committed to doing what God calls him to do. This was not Saul, completely different. Impressive on the outside, but in the inside, he's being disobedient, disobedient, not willing to do what God calls him to do. Here, here's a man, not impressive on the outside, but impressive on the inside, according to God, because he sees a man who says, God, it doesn't matter if it's difficult, doesn't matter if it's hard, doesn't matter if I'm the only one doing what you've called me to do, doesn't mean if the odds are stacked against me, doesn't mean, it, it doesn't matter if me following you costs me everything. And we're gonna see that next week in the story of Goliath, Yes. I'm going to do what it is that you call me to do. And that is the type of person that God calls his method of choosing people that he wants to partner with and work with. Now, we see other evidences of this in the New Testament. We see the religious leaders. Remember how good they looked on the outside? They looked so good. All the religious leaders and all their clothing and, and the words that they say, and everybody just thought they were awesome. And, and Jesus himself says, hey, you look great on the outside, but you look, like, you look like whitewashed tombs, but you're filled with dead men's bones. You look great on the outside. Everybody would pick you for their team, to be on their team. He goes, but I reject you, not because of what's on the outside, but because of what's on the inside. And then we see somebody that he actually picks for his team. 
In the book of Luke, chapter 21, verses 1 through 4, Jesus is looking, and this is interesting. He's watching people, uh, t- he's, watch- he's at the temple watching people give their offerings. This is very uncomfortable, yes? And, and so he's sitting there, and there's these seven coffers in front of them, and, and people are bringing, the rich people are coming, and, and, they're, and they're taking their offering, and they're putting it inside these coffers, and they're clanging, and people are wowing everywhere. Wow, they're giving so much. And there's this widow, poor widow who comes, and nobody even wants to look at her, to be honest with you. They're so uncomfortable, they just don't, just don't look at her, just don't look at the widow. And she comes, but Jesus looks at the widow. And when the widow comes, she takes, and out of whatever it is, she takes these two basically mites, which are basically pennies. She takes them and she puts them in the coffer. And when she drops them, there's no noise it makes at all because it's such a small offering. But Jesus gets his attention. He stands up and he looks at her. And he's amazed. And he says, this woman has given more than anybody else who has given He says, I tell you, everybody else has given out of their abundance. She has given out of her poverty. Here's the key. Here's the key for Jesus' team. She says, she gave all she had. God is not impressed with all that we have and all that we can do and all of our abilities and all of our works. What impresses the heart and moves the heart of Jesus in receiving us on his team is when you and I, and wants to use you and I, is when you and I say, I don't have much, but what I have is completely and totally yours. Use it. I love this, and I would pray that this would be our prayer. Dwight Almighty says this. He says, the world has yet to see what God can do with and for and through and in by a man, woman, or child, I would add, who is fully and wholly consecrated to him. Then he says, I will try my utmost to be that man. You know what God wants from you this morning? Just your all. Whatever it is, whatever it looks like, impressive, not impressive, whatever. He doesn't judge you for the way that you look. He doesn't judge you. He wants to know where your heart is. Second thing we see is not only a method, we also see a model. And what I mean by model here is a model for you and I. If this is how the creator of the universe and all people react and interact with people, then should not we be following the same model of the God? We are the people of God. Should we not be following the same model? And this is the instruction that he actually gave to Samuel. He said, do not look on his appearance or on his height of his stature. Modern vernacular, don't judge a book by its what? By its cover. But yet it's amazing to me and shockingly so of how quickly and how quickly we are to judge the value, the worth, and the potential of another individual just at a split look, just looking at them a second. They walk through the door, and all of a sudden, we've, we've got it all figured out. It, it, we got it all figured out. Do I want to know them? Do I not want to know them? Do I want to partner with them? What value they are? What significance they ultimately have inside of their life? Seems like the church was always struggling with this. You look in the study of James, and there he says, he says, guys, this should not be happening. He goes, when, when, a, when a rich man walks through the door, why would you say, here, you sit here in the place of honor, and the poor man walks in, and you say, here, you sit at my feet. And he goes, you're, you're, you're just making a split judgment on nothing more than just the appearance of that individual. You're saying one is valuable, one has worth, one has potential, all because of what they look like on the outside. Now, this doesn't mean, I want to be careful, this doesn't mean we make some type of judgment or that some type of judgment is not appropriate when we're interacting with each other. 
when we're in the body of Jesus Christ, when people are coming and they want to be a member of celebration, there's some judgments that have to be made. Do they truly know Christ? Do they understand the gospel? Are they living for Christ? Okay, we, we see that. We see the evidence of that. But we're not talking about the way somebody's living their life. We're talking about just an appearance, just what we see from the outside. You know, some people brag about this. They sit there and go, hey, listen, I, all I know is I, I don't know that guy, but, you know, uh, I don't want to have anything to do with him. But you don't even know him. I don't need to know him. I'm just a good judge of character. No, you're not. Because first of all, you're not even judging the character. What are you doing? You're judging the, the outside, the outward appearance of a human being. And let me just say this. There should be no place that this truth and reality is more true than right here in the body of Christ. Every single one of us know, even as a young person, now as my children are growing up and they're becoming teenagers, I begin to relive the nightmare of being a teenager. You, you, you understand? And you're sitting there going, oh, yeah. You're going, huh, oh. You know where kids are about to, huh. Anybody with me on that, right? And you're like, it's the best years ever. I know some of you peaked in middle school. I know I, I got it. But for some of us, it was just a nerve-wracking thing. You know why? Because you felt all those insecurities as, is do I look right? Do I look okay? People determine what you're going to be and where you stand in school based on how large you are and how athletic you are or what you look like on the outside. You know what? That is just garbage, man. The whole thing is just garbage. And we could say we get over it in middle school and high school, but let me just tell you this. It's the same exact thing. That, 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 that when, when, you, when you get older, sometimes you deal with it better, but you still end up kind of struggling with it sometimes. I got to put my best foot forward. Am I going to look right? Am I going to say right? Am I going to do all these types of things? But let me just tell you, it ought not to be that way for God's people. And that is that no matter what somebody looks like or what they wear or what they dress, that you and I, we're not judging for those things at all. That people, when they come to celebration, whether it's in a small group or in a youth group, whatever it is, that it doesn't matter what the person looks like, when they come they feel unbelievably welcome. You know, I heard a group of pastors recently say, well, what does your church look like? And as I begin to, I go, what, I don't even know, really know what that means. And they begin to say, well, we're really trying to hit this kind of middle class or upper middle class people, these professionals. These are the people that we're trying to, to, to be able to reach. Or we're trying to reach just these millennials or whatever. And, and I still, you know, I understand what people are saying, but I still have a problem with that. You know what I want? I want a church that's filled with, with, with the cast of the island of misfit toys, right? That, that we all just kind of come and like, yeah, you wouldn't make the team. <laughs> yeah, 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 uh, you know, you're, you're, pastor, you're not winning any beauty contest. You're, uh, we're not doing that, which we have that, by the way. But, but all of those things, just to be able to sit there and people go, how can all these radically different people be able to come here? And it's just because this reason, it just doesn't matter. What you wear, what your clothing, how much money you make, how you do your hair, what you look like, none of that matters. That's the model that you and I need to be able to have, to be able to honor a God who does the same. Here's the third thing, and we'll, we'll finish out with this very quickly. We see a motive. God has a motive behind using these simple things. Specifically here in the case of David, we understand that. Uh, God has the, the propensity um, uh, to be able to choose unlikely characters to fulfill as well. We, we understand that, right? Unfortunately for us, we have this sinful propensity to be able to place our faith 
in a lot of other things and other people apart from God. Yes, that's where we put our hopes and dreams. And it's even where we, we, we ascribe glory to or those things. And we, we love leaders and we love countries and, and we love big bank accounts. And the bigger and more glorious they are, the happier we are because the greater our faith is in them and the more glory we give them. But God says that we are not to put our faith in these things, but in God alone. And so God understands our idolatrous hearts that we have to be able to give glory to things and to people. And so what God will often do is he will use things that there's no way it or they can get the glory because nobody is expecting anything great from this person or anything great from this thing. Why? So that he can ultimately get the glory. It's the explanation in 1 Corinthians one twenty six. He says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Next week, we're going to see this very thing take part with David, who nobody is expecting to be the warrior and fight on the people's behalf. He he can't even lift the sword, basically, for the most part, and and wear, wear the regular armor. It's just too big for him, and nobody's expecting. But when he defeats Goliath, do you know what the result is? Because if nobody's expecting this to be the hero... A lost and dying world scratches their head while God's people bow their head and rejoice in the glory of God because they think only God can get the glory for this. Why he chooses such things. Let me just say this, and and, and I knew this was kind of connecting a little bit for Julie to be able to be here. And, and, And let me say this. God will, if you are really all that talented and you are that gifted, God wants to use you too, all right? It's not the point. The point is, is whatever you have, you lay into the hands of God. But there are some people who oftentimes begin to think, I can't be used of God. And then you begin to list all of your reasons why you're, for whatever reason, you're disqualified to be able to serve God. Not smart enough, don't have enough intellect. Guys, you need to know very clearly, and I have struggled all my life with reading, not just because I don't have glasses. I I, I went through all kinds of the classes. You know, the special classes, that was me. I still really struggle with reading. I still really struggle with, 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 um, with uh, uh, reading comprehension. It takes me a very long time to be even comprehend what it is that I'm ultimately reading. And it used to, I used to be so self-conscious of it. God would just sit, you know, for me, even me, God would just sit there and go, I don't care. I don't really care. I just want you to be available. You're available to use what it is that I have given you and to be able to take it on whatever level so that I can get the glory and you would be willing to do whatever it is that I ask you to be able to do. And I'm not saying, that's my heart's intent. I'm not saying that's a reality of everything. But we all understand what this is like. But every time you and I begin to mention all the reasons we're unqualified to be used of God to do great things, it's not evidence that supports, uh, supports us in the fact that we can't be used. Instead, it's evidence in God's court of law that's demonstrating that you are exactly, exactly, what God wants to use for his glory and to radically change the world that we're in. You can't use any of those evidences. One of the greatest examples of God using uh, things uh, unexpected, God's surprising choice, of course, the greatest example was in him choosing Jesus Christ to be the savior of the world. Here was a man that the scriptures tell us in the book of Isaiah that there was nothing impressive about him on the outside. 
Now, the Bible isn't saying that, that, look, the Bible isn't pushing ugly, by the way. It's not saying, hey, yeah, you know, you got to be really, really ugly for God to use you. There's, there's no ugly people. We got, we got that. Everyone's beautiful. We got that. But what he's saying is, it just, again, it just doesn't matter to God. But Jesus, the Savior who would come, says that there's nothing about him that people that would want to follow him or lead him or be on his team because of anything that they saw on him uh, on the outside. People thought that he hung out with the party crowd too much. Some people were very disappointed in him. Some people believed that he came from the wrong, wrong town. Some believed that he had the wrong education. But yet God in his sovereign wisdom chose Jesus, sent Jesus to do what? To die on a cross. And it just seemed like such a strange way. Because the people during that day would say, no, the way for us to God is for us to be good people. The way for us to God is for us to be righteous people and to be able to follow all God's rules. That seems to make the most sense. But God says, my way is better, even though it may not completely make sense, even though I may choose a way that nobody else would have choose, Jesus Christ. And he says, he is going to die. And those that would recognize that they have fallen short of the glory of God, those that recognize that they need Jesus, they cannot be righteous on their own accord. They can't be righteous because of what they do, no matter how hard they try. And just come before him and to be able to say, I can't do it, but you can. I trust in this Jesus that was rejected, this cornerstone that was rejected, or this person that was rejected, but became the cornerstone. I place my faith in him. And that's it. I'm so encouraged by Julie coming because Julie is not really a complete example, I think, because she is very gifted and she has a lot of great ability. But what I am encouraged about Julie is that Julie does not place any of her faith in any of those things. I've walked alongside of her. I've talked with her. I've seen her minister in a culture that she's at. In fact, where she is, she's at every disadvantage of being a woman where she is. Yes? And yet I've been able to see and minister and I've been able to meet and, and preach and teach before a whole group full of people that love Julie with all of their heart, but more so love the God in whom she serves because of her love for them. And what I'm just saying today is, you want to be used of God. You want to be used of God. Just be totally and fully consecrated to him and say, God, whatever it is I have, and I know there's parts of it that I'm even ashamed of, all of it, I'm just going to give to you. You use. You use in my marriage. You use around me in my community. God, if you can use me, just use me. Whatever you ask me to do, I'll be obedient. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we love you. We thank you. God, I thank you for the short, shortened sermon that we have. But God, there's already been so much preached through Julie's testimony, through, through the singing that we've heard. God, I pray even at this time that maybe some would come to faith in you. Some would sit there and say, I need the mercy and grace of this one we call Jesus. Who came and he died for me. And God, I can't be good enough. I can't be right. God, if you would set me the way that I am, then, 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 then save me. Maybe some will be saved. And maybe some will get underneath this whole feeling of needing to live up to some kind of level or some look a certain way. God, that's none of that. God, I pray that if our church, if, if we have in any way made people feel uncomfortable because of the way they dress, whatever, God, that we would be the first to be able to repent of any of that. God, that stuff just doesn't make any, it just means nothing to us. God, I pray that we would have the heart of God. In your precious name we pray, amen. Would you stand? It's going to take a couple minutes just to reflect.
I'll be down here. If you want to know more about Christ, I want to be here to talk with you about that. But let's just take this time to be able to make any decisions that God might have in our heart. All right, let's do it.